Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 4, the book of Mark chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, remember in previous weeks in our study in the book of Mark where Jesus, he would speak openly and plainly. And then we, we see last week where we start to see him speak in parables, which is a figurative manner of speaking, a figurative manner of introducing truth. And understand, you know, you know, truth can be received or rejected, and it depends on the heart. These are things that we studied in previous chapters, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. Remember, it depends on the heart. And so we're going to see more parables in the book of Mark. And so let's observe our Lord here in the book of Mark, chapter 4, in verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So let's just picture this scene for a moment. Remember last week in chapter 3 where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you know, to have the boat ready? Well, here he's straight up in the boat. He's in the boat and the multitude, they're on the ground. And Jesus is on the water. He's in the boat and he's sitting down, but he's on the water. And then he begins to teach. And remember the prior encounters where, you know, miracles, they did happen. They absolutely happened. And he still taught. But now we see two points of interest here. Now we see two points of interest where there's miracles and teaching. And, you know, in in the case of the Pharisees and scribes, you know, there's a third and that's opposition. So these three points of interest, and when we say points of interest, these are, you know, what is it that is attracting the people? And so these three points of interest being miracles, teaching, and then also opposition. So let's say, for example, you and me, We get in my time machine and we're straight up there. We're in the crowd. We're with the multitude and we're looking at Jesus sitting in the boat. You and me, we're on dry ground and we're looking at Jesus. He's on the water. He's sitting down in a boat. And we consider these three points of interest. You know, what are those? What what, what are the uh, 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 these points of interest? You know, you and me, are we there for the miracles? Are we there for, you know, uh, 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 the miracles? Are we there to oppose him? Or are we there to listen and learn? And so we see here in verse 2, then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. Now, sometimes people say that parables are just allegory, and that's understandable. But understand, they have a purpose. They have a purpose. The parables, they serve as stepping stones to the truth. Stepping stones to truth. You see, and you know, whether a person wants to walk on those stepping stones, that's a choice. That's a choice that they have to make. And it's interesting to know here that here in Mark chapter four, Jesus, remember, he's on the water. And so, you know, we see this, like the scripture today where the word goes forth and but then a person receives or rejects the word of God. You see, and that's what, you know, we see that here in Mark chapter four. We, we've seen it already with the, with, with, with the, when, when Jesus would go into synagogue, he would go into synagogue and, you know, we see the people, but we also, we look at the heart. We look at the heart because the word is rejected. You know, Jesus, the word became flesh. He's rejected. What he says, it's rejected. 
But then you look at other people, the woman at the well, you look at Nathaniel, you look at Philip, and boom, they, they receive the Lord. Remember when Philip was like straight up, hey, Nathaniel, you know, we found the one who Moses wrote about. We found the one who Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. We found him. But then you look at the scribes, you look at the Pharisees, and they reject him. You see? Very important to understand. And you know what? We see this in church too. And I hate to say it. You know, it hurts to even say that. But we see how the word goes forth, but not everybody receives. And I hate to say this, but it must be said. Sometimes from the pulpit, it's not even the word that goes forth. And this is where we must understand formula. Formula. It's just like our studies in 1 Samuel. It's just like our studies in 1 Samuel where, you know, not understanding formula, a person would heed the priest. Not understanding formula, a person would heed Eli. But then understanding formula, a person would realize, well, I'm not going to listen to Eli. I'm going to listen to Samuel. And don't forget, Samuel, he wasn't a priest. Very important to understand. When we understand formula, we can see, you know, we can see Eli, we can see Hophni, we can see Phineas. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through the book of 1 Samuel and get yourself caught up. It's very important to understand formula. Because when we understand formula, we can look at Eli, we can look at Hophni, we can look at Phineas and know, wow, they're in crazy town. The formula is not right in them. But then we can see Samuel and like realize like, whoa, you know what? We're going to do like what Samuel teaches. You see, because the formula is right in him. And you look at Alexander, Himenaeus, and Paul. And when we understand formula, it's like, well, you know, Alexander and Himenaeus, they're straight up crazy town. But Paul, we're going to listen to what he says because the formula is right. You see? It's very important for all of us to understand formula because these are things that are going to be stirred up in the last days. We're going to see these things on overdrive. And so here in Mark chapter 4, our Lord is on the water and he's presenting these stepping stones to the people on earth. They're standing on earth. They're standing on dry ground and he's in the water on the boat and he's presenting these stepping stones through parables. And look what he says here in verse 3. He says, listen, listen, behold. Now, already we see this call of God. Listen, behold. It's, it translates as hear and understand. Hear and understand. And he says, a sower went out to sow. Now, a sower is the one who plants the seed. And, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with children or kids, you know, and they'll ask, you know, what's a sower? And so, you know, it's the person who plants the seeds, you see. And, you know, one who plants the seeds and goes out to do exactly that, plant seeds. And so the sower went out to sow in verse 4, and it happened as he sowed. So let's look at what's happening here in real time through this parable that Jesus is speaking of, but let's look at real time, not just in Mark 4, but what Jesus is speaking on, the actual parable, where the planter is planting, the sower is sowing. Now, have you ever scattered seeds by a sidewalk? I mean, you know, let's say, you know, there's, there's ground, let's say there's earth that isn't so, it's not manicured, it's not kept up, and you want to have some nice plants next to 
the old tree by the old sidewalk. And have you ever scattered seeds? And, you know, you, you rather than plant each individual seed and, you know, put them in the earth, no, you just simply scatter the seeds. And when you do this, with some seeds, you'll see bounce, and with some seeds, you'll see no bounce. You see, with some seeds, you'll see no bounce, where the seeds just stick to the ground, where the earth is nice and soft. But then some seeds, you'll see bounce. You'll see it bounce here, and it bounces there, and, you know, it rests on the pavement. It hits a rock, or maybe it hits the pavement, and it just bounces a little bit. And we see this happen. I mean, if, you, if you've ever scattered seeds, or, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you see it when you, when you just, you have like a, a, a couple seeds in your hand, and you just toss it into the earth, and, you know, you, the, the majority of the seeds, you know, it goes to where you want it to go, but then you have some that hits the sidewalk, and it just bounces and bounces and bounces, and it comes to rest on the pavement. This is... This is undeniable. This is undeniable for the planter to experience this while planting, you know, in the dirt, you know, the, the, the earth that has dirt and rock and stone. And if you're planting by the sidewalk, you got the sidewalk. And so using this scenario, remember, Jesus is speaking in parables. Using this scenario, and it's also important to know we're in chapter four, but in chapter one, two, and three, we see him speaking openly speaking plainly and openly. And so last week we see the introduction of parables. And this week the parables continue in chapter 4. But it's very interesting. When he first started speaking, it was open and plain. And now we start to see, whoa, the parables. You see? And so using this example of the person who plants... Look at what the Son of God goes on to speak of as the sower sowed. And he says that, you know, in verse 4, it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Now, wayside here is the road. You know, the road is some seed got on the road and the birds came and devoured the seeds. These are things that the everyday person can see and understand. These are undeniable things that happen in these scenarios that the Son of God is presenting here. Remember, he's, he's in the boat, he's on the water, and he's speaking to the people that are on the earth, on dry ground. And as he's speaking, he's using this parable as stepping stones for truth, stepping stones to truth that lead to truth. These are undeniable. I mean, if you have if you have like a, a a pile of seeds in your hand and you toss it on the ground, well, if you're near the sidewalk, if you're near the road, and some's gonna fall on the earth, and some's gonna get on the sidewalk, some's gonna bounce on stone, some's gonna some is gonna bounce on the road on the you know. These are undeniable realities to what is happening in the physical. And he goes on to speak. He says in verse 5, Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Now, again, undeniable. Undeniable. These things happen with these scenarios being presented. I mean, when, when, when seed is inside the earth, when it's in the earth, understand that there are two sproutings. Two sproutings. One sprout goes up and comes out of the earth. And you know, that's where the stem and the leaves form. But then there's the other sprouting. And it goes down and it forms the root system. 
But then what happens when it's stony ground? There's not a lot of earth. It's stony. It's more of a sideways growth pattern where you can see growth. You can see the green. You can see growth. And it appears almost like a faster growth because you see two, two, two sprouts, you know, like you, you see this like with moss, you know, with moss where it's like, you know, it's, you see the green that's forming, but then you go and pick it up and it's like a piece of cake because there's, there's no root system. I mean, you can pick up a, a, a little uh, patch of moss, but, and, and it takes like, I don't know, pounds of pressure. It's very easy. You can just pick up a little thing of moss, but with the tree, you can't do that with a redwood tree. You see, there's, there's a difference there. These are undeniable realities that our Lord is presenting here. And so he speaks of, you know, the stony ground. It didn't, there's not a lot of earth in verse five. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of the earth. And so we see here in verse six, but then, you know, but when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. You see, and just like with the moss in the summertime, moss dies because it never had deep roots. At any time of year, you can just pick it up because their root system is very, very weak. And these are all undeniable realities in the physical realm. These are all undeniable realities. And so we see here in verse seven, some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. So now we have a particular kind of plant. It's the thorns. Mm, something else that grows. Competition, if you will. Competition to the seed. It's like scattering daffodils. Scattering daffodil seed with the blackberry bush. The blackberry bush, they, they grow like weeds. It's going to overtake the seeds. And so here in verse 7, the thorns grow and they choke the seed again. These are all undeniable events and these scenarios that are being presented by the Son of God. And in verse 8, but other seed fell on good ground. Other seed fell on good ground. And in the Greek translates as, this is ground that is beautiful, valuable, and virtuous. And this, all these scenarios, the Lord is presenting these scenarios, the seed and in the conditions of the earth be it on the, the, the road, on you know rocks with the thorns, or on the good ground. And so we see here in verse 8, but the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And so this other seed fell on good ground, and look what happens. And so once again, undeniable truth being spoken by the Son of God, provable in the physical realm. I mean, Jesus is speaking and someone could, you know, raise their hand. Uh, excuse me, you know, I have a question. You know, th this this really doesn't happen. And so I said, okay, let's pick up some seeds and let's observe it. You toss it. Look, some bounced on the stone. Look, some, some are there with the thorns. Look, some there by the wayside. And then some are here where the ground is good. These are provable in the physical realm, evidential in the physical realm. Every eye can see this. It's what happens to seeds as they are scattered. And then he says this in verse 9. And he said to them, he who has ears, or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, picture this multitude. 
Picture this multitude. Remember the three points of interest. You know, who's there for miracles? Who's there to oppose him? And who's there to listen and learn? You see? People there for miracles are like, you know what? What is this, you know? I came for the goodies. I want to be healed. I want to see people be healed. And, you know, now Jesus is speaking and he's telling me something I already know about sowing seeds. And what about those who are there to oppose Jesus? Like, what in the world is he talking about? Remember the, the scribes and the Pharisees? They were along with the multitude. And they're there. Remember, in last week in our study, you know, they've, they're already plotting with the Herodians, the political and religious establishment plotting to destroy Jesus. It's already underway. Remember last week where Jesus calls them on it and says, hey, I know what you guys are up to. And so those who are there to oppose Jesus, you know, what in the world is he talking about? He thinks he knows Torah better than us. He thinks he knows Moses and the prophets better than us. And he's, here he is speaking this rubbish about seeds. Remember the three points of interest. Who's there for the miracles? Who's there to oppose him? You see what happens through parable? Undeniable truth is being presented. These are provable, evidential in the physical realm, but they serve as stepping stones to the ultimate undeniable truth. And it's Jesus. You see? Remember, Jesus is on the water, and it's the people that are on the earth. Very interesting how he speaks in this particular parable, in this particular situation where he himself is not on the earth. And yet he speaks... And then we remember the third group of people. The third group of people. They hear Jesus speak. Hmm. What does he mean? What does he mean? And, you know, this isn't a, like, you know, what does he mean as scoffing? No, 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 no. This is like, you know, what does he mean? But it's like a spark. Something to invoke a curiosity. A curiosity that would perhaps lead a person to leave the earth and sprout to the first stepping stone? You see? The first stepping stone that leads to Jesus? You see, Jesus is speaking in parables. But how the word that he speaks is received, it depends on the heart. Some people are there, hey, you know, I want to see the healing. I, I, I want healing. I want to see the healing. I want to see the, 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 the crippled guy. I want to see him get up and walk. And, you know, the guy with this, you know, his shriveled hand, I want to see that. And, you know, I heard about this and I want to see it. You know, they come with their, their popcorn like, oh, I want to watch it. I want to watch it. I want to watch it. And then you have the religious and political establishment. And they're already plotting to destroy Jesus. But then some people are there like, what does he mean? Something is sparked in their heart. Now, notice what's happening where Jesus speaks and you consider the hearts of the people as his words scatter. His words go forth and they enter the ear holes of the people. What is the condition of their hearts? Not collectively, not collectively, not the collective heart. Individually, what is the condition of their hearts individually? Who in the multitude will respond to his words? 
and sprout to that first stepping stone in this, we'll say, firmament. Who is it? You see? And so we see these three points of interest of those in the multitude. But then there's another group. There's a fourth. And this other group, this fourth, it's those who have already taken those stepping stones. And we see that there with this fourth group, they've already taken the stepping stones, that there's a deeper intimacy that is not with the multitude. There is a deeper intimacy. And so we see here in verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. All things come in parables. Remember, when Jesus first came, he spoke openly. He spoke plainly. And here we are in Mark chapter 4, and we start to see parables. I mean, we saw parables last week. But parables last week, it was with the religious establishment. And, you know, even remember, they were silent. They couldn't, they couldn't understand. They were silent. Nobody could answer his simple question. And so here we are in chapter four and you think, well, the parables is just for the religious leaders. No, no, no. Now he's speaking to parables. He says here in verse 11, all things come in parables. And this is something that still rings true today. Remember, knowledge, knowledge, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it comes through deep intimacy with Jesus. And it's a blessing from the Lord. It's not the greatest gift, but it's a gift. Absolutely. The greatest gift is love. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians? If you're a new listener, go and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Very important. You learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And knowledge. It's a gift of the Spirit. And in these last days... There's going to be something else revealed, something else that happens in the last days. And it happens as apostasy and delusion gets worse. Where it's only the remnant who will understand. Very important to understand the prophecies. And so we see Jesus in verse 11, he says, all things come in parables in verse 12, so that seeing they may see, and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them you see jesus he points to isaiah and you know reading this it almost sounds like condemnation because we see here in verse 12 it's like see and not perceive hear and not understand lest they should turn you see it's like It's probably one of the greatest arguments for Calvinism and Reformed theology. Probably one of the greatest arguments pro-Calvinism and pro-Reformed theology. But since we have the full counsel of the Word of God, we have to factor in the it is also written. Remember, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So where we see in the law that sacrifice is good, but in the prophets, sacrifice is not good. You see? 
And we see that the law and the prophets, they serve as witness to something greater. Because Isaiah himself writes of both forgiveness and no forgiveness. Isaiah along with the prophets. So what's left? What's left? if If we see forgiveness and no forgiveness, what's left? It's the heart. It's the heart. The heart individually for now. Individually for now. Because the collective heart, that comes later. After certain prophetic events come to pass. Very important to understand the prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And you start to see like, whoa, you know what? Like Paul, he writes and like everything aligns with what Isaiah writes. Everything aligns with what Ezekiel writes, with what Jeremiah writes, with what Daniel writes and what Peter writes and what John writes. Everything aligns. You know why? Same spirit. Same Holy Spirit. The spirit that inspires Paul, that inspires uh, 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 John, that inspires James is the same spirit that inspired Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Amos, the same spirit. And so now what happens, we see something very interesting with our Lord and those near him. We see an expectation for growth, an expectation for growth. And these are things that we see with the apostles too, where we see an expectation for growth among the believers, among the saints as they teach and as they preach. But, you know, we see that in the book of Acts. But here, even the apostles, they're not apostles yet, they're disciples. And we see them, they're in their infancy. Well, chapter one and two, they're more infancy. Chapter three and four, they're moving on to perfection. They're starting to understand deeper things. And the Lord is speaking in parables, but it's to the disciples, those in the inner circle, the inner bubble of Jesus. And he's explaining. He's explaining because remember, he says, you know, in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 10, that those around, when he was alone, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them in verse 11, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, hey, it's parables. It's parables. And so when we see what's happening here, this expectation for growth among the disciples, in verse 13, we see here, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? I mean, this isn't necessarily like chastisement, like how dare you don't understand. This isn't necessarily chastisement, but there's still a little sting to it. You don't understand? There's still that little, ouch. There's still that little like, ooh, that stings a little bit. Because remember, this is the inner group, not the multitude. This is the tiny bubble of Jesus and those inside that tiny bubble. You see, it's not just a matter of following Jesus only. Now, remember with Brother Matthew, where Jesus says, you know, follow me and boom. You know, Matthew, he was straight up. He was doing taxes. And then Jesus says, follow me. Boom, I'm out. I'm going to follow Jesus. But then following Jesus, following Jesus. Our Lord has an expectation for understanding to deepen to get deeper. Our Lord has this expectation. Remember in our, our study in the book of Hebrews? And you see Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 6 where you see the milk drinkers in chapter 5? 
And in chapter six, you know, let us move on from the elementary things. There's this expectation for our understanding to expand and get deeper into the word of God. And these are things, you know, when the disciples, when they become apostles, and that's like what we see in the book of Acts, you know, where they receive the Holy Spirit. And when the disciples become apostles, their understanding, it really deepens. Because when they become apostles, they reflect back and they say like, oh, that's what our Lord meant. That's what he meant. But here we kind of see them in their infancies, not baby. I mean, they're, they're still young in the faith. But we see even in the disciples before they become apostles, you say like, what's the difference between disciple and apostle or disciple? That's like student phase. That's like the learning phase. The apostle, that's the messenger phase. You see, very important. And these, when when they're apostles, it's not just them saying, well, you know what? I I think I'm going to go say this thing. I think I'm going to say this. Uh, No, they're called of God. Hey, you speak. You speak, go and tell these people, go and preach the good news, go and teach truth. They're called of the Lord. And so when they're, when they're apostles, you know, they're going to reflect back. Oh, that's what happened. That's what he meant. And so Jesus, he says, do you not understand this parable? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? You see, expectation. There's more for us to understand. There's more for us to learn. Remember, following Jesus, it's not the same as abiding in Jesus. And so Jesus, to the tiny bubble, those who are in his tiny bubble, he explains, he reveals, he teaches. Remember verse 11, the mystery, the mystery. And now what was formerly a mystery, it's no longer a mystery because Jesus is the one who explains. He's revealing, he's teaching, and it's not to the masses. Not to the masses. It's happening in a closer intimacy. You see, it's very important to understand. I mean, it's one thing if you and me were like, you know, say, for example, you and me were were, were like a, a, a thousand yards away from a particular individual. Well, we can we can observe, you know, what we have our binoculars and we can see like, OK, here's a guy who's, you know, a thousand meters away. But then say we close that distance and we're no longer a thousand meters away. Say we're like 500 yards away now. We're still at a distance and we can see things a little bit more clear. And then we close the gap and instead of 500 yards, say we're 200 yards away and we can see more. We don't need our binoculars anymore because we can see he's 200 yards away, but. And then he's 100 yards away. As we close the gap, we get closer and closer. And what about when he's 10 feet away? We definitely don't need our binoculars. He's 10 feet away. What happens when he's five feet away? What happens when he's one foot away? And at five feet, we start to realize, well, there's something different about this particular man. And when he's five feet away, something happens. He's one foot away and it's like, 
Whoa. And what happens when you and me, when we're cheek to cheek with him? What happens when we fall in love with him? What happens when we embrace him? What happens when, you know, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. There we are cheek to cheek with our Lord. But when we were a thousand meters away, we could see him. Yes. But closing that gap, closing that distance and through this closer intimacy, more things are revealed. And these are things that are happening to the disciples because Jesus spoke openly. He spoke plainly. And we see that in the earlier chapters. And then all of a sudden he starts to teach in parables. And so he teaches in parables to the masses. All things come in parables. But then he says to this closer inner bubble, hey, to you, it's being revealed. This mystery, remember verse 11, this mystery, hey, it's being revealed. And it only happens through closer intimacy with the Lord. Just like that example, a thousand meters, that's not one foot. It's a thousand meters where at a thousand meters away, you could still see. But you can't touch. You see? You can't hear because you're a thousand meters away. But as you close that gap, close that distance, as you get inside the tiny bubble, more things happen. More things are revealed. And it happens through closer intimacy. And so look what Jesus reveals here in verse 14. The sower sows the word. Now, unbeknownst to the disciples, the very thing that Jesus was doing when he was on the boat, you know, when, with, with the multitudes where he's on the water, and the very thing that he was doing, it's the very thing that the disciples are going to do later down the road. Later down the road. Not, they're disciples now, but later down the road, they're going to be sowing seeds of the word of God. Remember, Jesus teaches by example. He shows us by example. And so as he was speaking, as Jesus was speaking with the multitudes where he's sitting on the boat and explaining these undeniable realities, these undeniable truths in the physical realm. I mean, you toss the seeds and look what happens. I mean, if you have a little patch of earth, but then, you know, there's also rock and then there's also the sidewalk. There's also the road. And then you take a handful of seeds and you throw it in the air. You're going to have seeds that goes on the earth. You're going to have seeds that hits the rock. You're going to have seeds that hits the, the stony ground. You're going to have seeds that go on the sidewalk. Maybe seeds that go on the road too. Because you're throwing it into the air. And Jesus, when he speaks in parables, these are undeniable realities. What happens in the physical realm? These are provable in the physical realm. Because you could have a doubter in the multitude. Like, oh, you know, I don't believe that happens. So it's like, okay, look, I'm, here's, here's my handful of seeds. I'm going to throw it and look what happens. You see, some seeds stick there. Some seeds bounced. Some seeds, you know, rest are resting on the pavement. It, these are provable in the physical realm. And so Jesus says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these, in verse 15, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. So we have the undeniable reality of events that happen in the scenario presented earlier when Jesus was on the boat. 
undeniable in the physical realm. But in this intimacy, in this intimacy with the tiny bubble and those that are, you know, that are with Jesus. Remember, this Jesus is speaking not to the multitude now. He's speaking to the disciples and those in this tiny bubble. And to the multitude, undeniable realities in the physical realm. But in the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, Jesus reveals what he was truly speaking about. Seeds by the wayside. In verse 15, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. See, the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. That's the wayside. It's very interesting that Satan has this easy access to the heart. Easy access to the heart of, you know, the wayside. Where today you have people who toy around with things that leave them open to the demonic realm. And you see this with Christians too, where they toy around with things they ought not to toy around with. You know, with the, you know, remember the pneumos when we study the writings of Paul? When you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. The Ouija boards, things of the occult, don't mess around with those things. Because when you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And so Jesus, he's teaching about what's really happening in the spirit realm. You see? Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And then you see here too, in this verse 16, we see these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word of God, immediately receive it with gladness. And so notice, he's, Jesus says, these likewise. We're not talking about the wayside. We're talking about the stony ground. And the word is received with gladness. But then something happens. In verse 17, and they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. You know what Jesus is describing here in verse 16 and 17? He's speaking of babies who stay babies. The baby Christians, baby believers. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. No growth, no maturity, no depth of understanding, no roots, no roots. Notice they do receive the word. I mean, other gospels say they believe, but for a while. That's what the gospel of Luke says. Dr. Luke says they believe, but it's only for a little bit. And so here in Mark, they do receive the word, and that's beautiful, and they're glad, and that's beautiful, that's wonderful, but where's the meat? Where's the meat? You see, the milk of the word of God, the pure milk of the word of God, very beautiful, but that's for babies. What about the meat and potatoes of the word of God? The deeper understanding, the deeper truths, so that we can fall deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God. We can fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. You see? And Jesus is describing that these are people who receive the word. They're glad. And they even endure. But they do not endure to their last breath. 
their endurance is short-lived. You see? And so look at the timing of their falling away. They don't, they, 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 they so endure in verse 17 only for a time. Look at the timing of when they fall away here at the end of verse 17. We see afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You see? And so the Calvinist could say, the Calvinist and Reformed theology person could say, well, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. The person just stumbled. It has no impact on eternal security. But don't forget, Jesus says likewise. Jesus says likewise to those by the wayside where the word is taken out of the heart. And Jesus says of these that they're likewise. You see? Don't forget, names can be written in the book of life and names can also be blotted out of the book of life. Very important to understand. Satan doesn't mind the baby believers, the milk drinkers. He doesn't mind the babies. He doesn't mind. Number one, there's no threat. But then number two, he can make a mockery of believers. Look at Corinth. Look at Corinth. I mean, say, for example, you and me, let's get in my time machine. And you and me are non-believers in Corinth. And let's say, for example, a Christian comes to us and says, Hey, come to church. God is love. He loves you. Come to church. And we're like, wait a second. We've heard about you. We see what's happening. We know that this guy who, he goes to that church, he goes to your church, and he's having sex with his dad's wife. That was happening in Corinth. That's what was happening in Corinth, in the church, inside the church. And so you and me were residents of Corinth. And the Christian comes to us and he invites us to church. A guy and a gal, they invite us to church. Hey, come to church, you know. God is love. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Come to church. And we're like, wait a second. We know that there's all this craziness. There's all this sex happening in your church. And the guy is that this guy's a Christian. He's having sex with his dad's wife and... These Christians over here, they go to your church and they're alcoholic and this guy's extorting his employer and there's all these crazy revelries happening and you want us to come to church? You see? Satan can make a mockery when the baby believer. Satan's not afraid of the babies because there's no threat. He can make a mockery of believers. Look at Hillsong today. Here we are in 2023 AD. Look at Hillsong. You know how many people I speak to and they say, I want nothing to do with Christianity because look at Hillsong. Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites, they say. You see, Satan can make a mockery with the babies. And we see, verse, like, you know, we're, we're in, in this verse and it, when, when the Lord says, you know, at when, the, the end of verse 17, the falling away, through tribulation and persecution for the word's sake. And immediately they stumble. And so we see how it's like, oh, wait a second here. Who is Jesus speaking of? And it's the baby believer. Because remember, Dr. Luke, they, they believe, but it's for a while in the account, the gospel of Luke. They believe, but it's just for a little bit. And then the persecution comes, the tribulation comes. 
And Satan is like, okay, baby's not a threat. And I don't mean to sound carnal in explaining this, but if you had to fight a, a two-year-old, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're an adult, but I mean, if you had to fight a two-year-old, it's a piece of cake. And, you know, not to sound carnal in saying that, but it's a piece of cake. And so Satan, the, the baby believers are not a threat to him at all. And he can make a mockery of Christians. Just like the example we gave, you and me, we go back to, to Corinth. We're non-believers, and the guy says, hey, come to church. It's like, what? All, all the sex that's happening in there? The guy's having sex with his dad's wife? Like, the, 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 the alcohol? The extortion? And you want us to join that? Look at how Satan can use the baby believers, the milk drinkers. And Satan can also... Stir up a little bit of tribulation, a little bit of persecution, and boom, he's got them. He's got them. Remember, Satan is a fisherman too. Satan is a fisherman too. Dragging souls to hell where he's going. You see? Now, I'm going to say something that might jolt you a little bit. It's probably going to jolt you a little bit. It's true. It's very true. That tribulations and persecutions, they come in various degrees and various intervals in the life of a believer. It's very true. But in the last days, in the last days, there is a prophesied tribulation and a prophesied persecution that will be off the charts. Off the charts. Just straight up overwhelming. Jesus is the one who tells us that this time period will be unmatched. He says in Matthew 24, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. That's what our Lord says. The tribulation of the last days. And so you take the conditions of the world where there's unmatched persecution and tribulation and it will be perilous. It will be dreadful. And you take the conditions of the last days as prophesied in the Old Testament and in the New Testament by faithful vessels, servants of the Lord. And you take the conditions of that world. But then you put baby believers there in the conditions of that world. You take the baby believers and you put them there in that world. And baby believers who have no root. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Where you will see endurance, but it's short-lived because there's no roots. There's no roots. There will be a falling away as Brother Paul prophesied. It's a defection away from truth and it's called apostasy. Apostasy. It's already underway. We already see this today. And one of the greatest challenges for those of the remnant and only the remnant is finding a church. Finding a church. And don't get me wrong, we see churches everywhere. But understand, from the pulpit, what do we see? What do we hear from the pulpit? We can see wolves. We can see predators. We can see hirelings. We can see perverts. We can see the disqualified. 
And we also see the milk feeders. Those who feed only milk. No meat, no potatoes, only milk. You see? And so you take the conditions of the last day's earth as prophesied in Scripture, as prophesied in the Old Testament, New Testament. And you take baby believers who have no root and you put them there in that environment, in that on that earth. And then you see like, who are their teachers? Who are their pastors? Why are they teaching only milk? Why are they preaching only milk? Why is it that we see no growth, no growth, no maturity? You see? And when you consider the war tactics of our enemy, what else can be seen? It's a setup job. It's a setup. You see, believers have been set up and are being set up from the pulpit. Where are the meat and potatoes of the word of God? The deep truths of the word of God. Where in the world can you find the meat and potatoes of the word of God? Where are the pastors who teach in accordance to a holy formula as outlined in holy scripture? And I'm not just talking, I'm not just talking about sound doctrine. I mean, sound doctrine is paramount. Paramount. But when we say, and when I say that, I'm not just talking about sound doctrine and not to nullify sound doctrine. That's everything. Understand there's more. There's more when it comes to the overseers. You have to look at the behavior of the overseer. You have to look at the fruit. What's inside? What's the fruit of the overseer? You look at the behavior, you look at the home, you look at the wife, you look at the kids. Remember, everything is under scrutiny. Remember our our studies in the pastoral epistles? Everything is under scrutiny. Is is he a pastor for the money? Is he a pastor because he he's a pastor for the money? Is he a pastor because, you know, he 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 he's a predator, he's a pervert and he wants easy access to kids? Is he a pastor because he wants the fame and accolades where, you know, he wants to be an influencer with the social media? And then you look at the fellowship, always, always, always accounting for babies. And the very holy formula must be adhered to. It must be adhered to. I mean, it must be adhered to in order for effectuation of God's promises. In order for effectuation of God's promises. Very holy formula. It's very easy, but it's very intricate. You see? I mean, straight up, if you're of the remnant and you strongly desire the meat and potatoes of the Word of God, that's a very, very good thing. But there's a big problem. You're not going to find a church. You're not going to find a church. Or there's a very high likelihood that you won't find a church. A very high likelihood. Understand what's happening in the spirit realm. These are things that Jesus is teaching this very tiny bubble about the spirit realm. Yes, there's the physical and these undeniable truths and realities that can be observed by mere men. Undeniable realities observed by mere men. You know, you 
toss the seeds and you see some seeds falls here, goes here, goes here. And if it goes here, this happens. If it goes here, this happens. If it goes here, this happens. But in the spirit realm, understand what's happening in the spirit realm. That through the ages, Satan, he's been hard at work. Little serpent in Genesis, but a giant dragon in Revelation. He's been getting stronger through the ages. And he sends out his vessels who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they serve Satan. You see? And he's been capitalizing on the carnalities of mankind to condition churches for milk and milk only. To condition the so-called pastors to have carnal sensitivities so that leaven is never addressed. And you look at these war tactics, these battle tactics, evil, evil, evil. You start to realize it's a big setup. It's a big setup job. You see, Satan, he's been preparing the church for slaughter, to drag them to hell. The non-believer, he's already got them. But the believer, he'll seduce. And you start to realize like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because remember, we see the physical realm. Everybody can see the physical realm. But not everybody can perceive the spirit realm. And these are things that Jesus is speaking about. I mean, straight up, you know, the seed on the, on the wayside, straight up Satan goes into the heart and takes that seed out. How does Satan have access to the heart? You see? How does Satan have access to the heart? And you say, well, okay, that, that's the non-believer. Okay. What about the person who believes for a while? What about the person who believes, but for the short term? As Dr. Luke says, they receive the word with joy. And Mark here says, they re they're glad. They're glad. And that's a good thing. Okay, they receive the word. They believe. And they're glad. But remember, they have no root. Why is it they have no root? Why is it they have no root? Then you look at Corinth. Remember, when we, the 1 Corinthians was a very, the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, very, very difficult study, especially the early part of 1 Corinthians. Very, very difficult study. And remember when we started our study, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, if, you, if you're a new listener, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, but very, very difficult to teach because it's, Remember, I, I have this love-hate relationship with Corinthians, the first Corinthians and second. Love-hate relationship. I love it because there's some major truths there. I love it because it's, you know, part of the Word of God, part of the full counsel of the Word of God. But the hate side, it's like, wow, I hate that this even happened. Because it hurts. The separation to, 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 to take the, the remnant and say, okay, remnant, separate from the leaven. Why was the leaven even there for three years uncorrected? For three years. You see the sex, the alcohol, the extortion. For three years uncorrected. Where were the pastors who said, hey, this isn't good. Hey, cut this out. Hey, let's get you cleaned up. Where were the pastors? 
You say, what are you, what are you talking about? Where the pastors? The pastors were there. Absolutely. But where were the pastors? Where was Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Now, if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand. You look at the era of 1 Samuel where there was no widespread revelation. The era, the judges era. There's no widespread revelation. The Lord was silent in those days. Well, why was he silent? When the Lord says in the law that he would speak to the priesthood. In the law, in, in the law of Moses, the Lord says, thus saith the Lord. But yet he's silent. Why is that? Yeah, we got the priests and you look at the Old Testament. Remember our study in Judges? Yeah, we got the priests, but look at them. The idolatry. Remember? Paid off by Micah. Remember Micah? Not Micah the prophet, the other Micah in Judges. Paid off. Remember the perverted priest? Not treating his wife as wife, but treating his wife as concubine. And then he throws her to the wolves and she's gang raped. And she dies in the morning. These are painful, painful things that happened. It hurts to study these things, to speak on these things, but yet they're captured in the word of God to teach us. To teach us about holiness. To teach us about wickedness. To present to us a choice. To teach us about the blessings of obedience. The warnings about wickedness to teach us. You see? And so when Jesus here is speaking, where yes, there's the physical realm, but he starts to teach about the spirit realm. And you start to see like, wait a second. Why is it that there's so many baby Christians today? You go and talk with the Christian, like, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for 30 years. And then you speak to them and they're like, well, I've never heard that before. Oh yeah, I've never studied this part before. And it's like, like, wait a second. Like you've been a Christian for 20 years. You've been a Christian for 30 years and you don't know who's your pastor. Who's your teacher? Who is it that you've submitted yourself to? You see? And then you start to see like, whoa. It's been a big setup job. How Satan sends out his, his messengers. They present themselves as ministers of righteousness. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. Paul, when he writes, he says, hey, the home is open to scrutiny. You have a pastor. Oh, he's such a good teacher. He's such a good teacher. Oh, he's a good pastor. He's a good pastor. But he's on his fifth marriage. And his previous, you meet the pastor. Oh, yeah, I'm on my fifth marriage. Oh, oh, oh pastor, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry your previous wives have died. I'm so sorry. You know, like, you know, my, my condolences. He says, what are you talking about? We had irreconcilable differences. Boom, I'm out. Wrong formula. If he can't, if his own home is out of order, what do you think that fellowship is going to be like? You see? And Satan, this whole time through the ages, he's been at work. Little tiny serpent in Genesis. Big dragon in Revelation. 
And Satan seduces. Satan seduces. Don't forget. Don't forget Lucifer. Lucifer. That he seduced even the angels. And he was very successful. One third of the angels. One third of the not Not two angels. It's not five angels. One third of all the angels defected away from the Most High. And submitted themselves to Lucifer. You see. One third of the angels. They left the Most High God. And they submitted to Lucifer. Angels. Not men. Angels. What mere mortal can stand against that seduction? You see? It's only, 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 it's only the soul that abides in Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. It's only Him, it's only her, only the one who abides in Jesus. So as we consider the parable that Jesus spoke, also understanding how truth can become veiled, like we studied last week, where Jesus presents very true realities in the physical realm and also very true realities in the spirit realm. Remember, he, when he initially started speaking openly, plainly, but then you start to see, wow, it starts to become veiled. He starts to become veiled. We see that last week when he speaks in parable. But then now he speaks more in parable, not just the religious establishment, the political establishment, the uh, uh, Judaizers and the Herodians, not just them. Now he, he says all things come in parables. You see? Presenting these stepping stones. And so Jesus, he continues to teach us about these seeds. We see in verse 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. Now, remember what we mentioned earlier about the, the blackberry, bush? blackberry bush? You try to plant daff a daff daffodil seeds in the blackberry bush? Well, the, the, like the blackberry bush, the thorns is going to choke it out. But look what our Lord says here in verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. That they are the ones who... Hear the word. Hear. They are the ones who hear the word. They are the ones who hear the word. It's like, you know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. At least they hear, and that's a good thing. They hear, and it can lead to further growth and maturity. Absolutely true. But something happens when the seeds are among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And then notice what happens here in verse 19. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Notice what happens. Notice what our Lord is speaking of here. A person hears the word, but then there's a distraction. And that's literally how this translates. There's a distraction where the focal point of this person changes. The focus moves away from the Bible. And attention is given, care is given, concern is given, eagerness to obtain is given, desire is given for the world. For the world, lying riches, 
and the desire for things other than the word of God. You see, I mean, you look at in, in verse 18, when it's sown among thorns, they hear the word. They hear the word and you figure, like, oh, you know, praise the Lord. That's a good thing. And yeah, hearing the word is a good thing. But then something else happens. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches in verse 19, and the desire for other things. Very important to understand what's happening here. Look what Jesus is revealing to his inner circle of those close to him, that tiny bubble. These things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Let's stop here for a moment. So a person hears the word and everything is fine. Truth enters the ear holes and leads to the heart. And that's a good thing to hear the truth of God's holy word. That's a good thing. But something else enters in what our Lord says here. Something else enters in. Something else has access to the heart. And this something else can alter the heart and change the heart and change the focus of the heart. Where instead of the word, Instead of the word, instead of the truth of God's holy word, focus, it changes to the world. It changes to lying riches. And it changes to the desire for other things instead of the truth of God's holy word. You see what's happening? Remember, Jesus is revealing what happens, what really happens in the spirit realm. And this is something that happened with Paul, in Paul's tiny bubble, it happened with Demas. I mean, you see Paul's writings and Demas, so beautiful. They have nice fellowship and they have, it's so beautiful to see when Paul mentions his tiny bubble and wow, there's Demas. But then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, about Demas, he says, Demas has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me, having, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. You see how even Demas, something else entered his heart. Something else turned his head, turned his gaze, turned his focus and changed his heart. And it was a love for the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things other than the word of God. You see? Forsaking Paul. Forsaking Paul. And entering a bright lights and big city, land of opportunity, good old Thessalonica. See you later, Paul. I'm out. You see? Something else entered the heart of Demas. It was a trap. It was a setup job where Satan, he dangles something. Oh, look over here. Look over here. Look, it can be better for you. Look, this is nicer for you. Look, it's better for you. And then Demas, I'm out. See ya, Paul. These are things that enter a heart. 
And look what Jesus says they do. He says, you know, we see here that they enter in, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And that's what happens to the seed inside a heart. That's what happens to the word inside a heart. These other desires also enter. And in the Greek, you know how it translates? That they enter the heart and they choke the seed. They choke the word. They drown the seed. They strangle the seed. How it translates in the Greek is they take by the throat and strangle completely. That's what happens to the seed inside a heart. By what also enters the heart. I mean, it's it's good to, to hear God's word, to hear truth. That's a good thing. But then we start to see the condition of the heart as the Lord reveals the spirit realm, what is really happening. You see? And as seed enters the heart, other things can enter the heart too. Look what happened to Demas. Such beautiful intimacy in fellowship. Paul and Damas, Paul and Damas, Paul and Damas. Tiny bubble, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fellowship. But then old man Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, Damas has left me. You see? He's left. Bright lights, big city. I'm done with you, Paul. I'm off to the land of opportunity, bright lights, big city. I mean, carnally speaking, was Demas successful? I mean, you could look at his life in the world and he might have achieved great wealth and stature, join the private clubs, have the biggest yachts, the coolest cars. But then you look at the heart. No more seed. It was there. It was there, absolutely. But then it died. It was choked. It was strangled because of what also entered the heart. You see? Remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Don't forget, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had these conversations with believers. Oh, the, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. And in the course of time, what is seen is ruin. They were deceived. A person might, you know, how can you say that? A person might say that. You know, how can you say that? Look at Damas, he's successful. Look at his Lamborghini. And the success only amplifies the sorrow. It only amplifies the sorrow. Because the seed has been taken by the throat and strangled completely and it died. Lucifer, don't forget Lucifer. He seduced even the angels. Even the angels, not two angels, not three angels, not five. One third of all the angels he seduced. He seduced and instead of submitting themselves to the Most High, 
Lucifer says, I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm going to exalt. I'm going to be exalted more than the Most High. And then one third of the angels, they submitted themselves to Lucifer. And then the Most High, the Most High God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, boom, you're out. Cast them out. The Archangel Michael. Remember what Brother Jude wrote? The Archangel Michael, he didn't dare bring an accusation against Lucifer. Again, what mere mortal can stand against Lucifer? It's only the soul that abides in Jesus. And Jesus in him, Jesus in her. It's only that person. Remember the demon with the sons of Siva? Or, you know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? You see, the demonic realm, they know all about holy formula. They know all about it. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? That's what the demon says to the sons of Siva. I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? You see? And then the sons of Siva were defeated. Very important to understand. One demon took out seven guys. They, went, they ran away naked. These are things that the Lord reveals through his word. Yeah, you're in the, the physical realm, okay? Toss the seeds, scatter the seeds. In the physical realm, you can see the seed lands on soft ground. The seed lands over here on the stone. The seed lands over here on the ground. Okay, okay, no big deal. The seeds, so the seeds are there. No big deal. But what Jesus is revealing to the inner circle, the tiny bubble, what Jesus is revealing to the disciples. Remember, Jesus was alone and alone, you know, they come to the other, other gospels say, like, you know, Lord, what do you mean? And so he reveals to them. Those who have intimacy with him, the Lord reveals. And in this revealing, he shows them, hey, look what's really happening in the spirit realm. Look what's really happening. And so we see here in verse 20, but these, these are the ones sown on good ground. Remember in the Greek, ground that is valuable, beautiful, and virtuous. That's what Jesus says about these hearts. Look at how in our present time in 2023 AD, look how virtue, virtue, it's under major, major attack. I mean, virtue has always been under attack. And many men and many women have been corrupted by the loss of virtue. But in these last days, look at how children are being corrupted. Children. Look how children are being corrupted and their virtue stolen. Stolen by Agents of wickedness. You see it happening with children. Physically, emotionally, sexually, and most definitely, spiritually. You can see it. Satan knows his time is short. He knows the demons, the demonic realm, the fallen angels... They know exactly who the Most High God is. 
and they know their time is short. And look how Satan, knowing his time is short, look how he destroys the landscape of hearts. Male, female, young, old, children are being corrupted by agents of Satan. I mean, it's, it's bad when it happens to adults. I'm not saying like, you know, the adults are nothing. But children? You read the Bible? Old Testament and New Testament, especially the Old Testament? When people mess with children? When people kill, kill, kill children? The Lord is especially vengeful when there's harm brought to children. And vengeance is his. But look at how we see this happen today where children, virtue stolen. You see? And the landscape of hearts is being destroyed. The Bible calls Satan the destroyer for a reason. He destroys. But nevertheless, there's still virtue in these last days. And there is still restoration of virtue. And there's a very holy means by which hearts can be prepared for their day of visitation. Remember our study in 1 Peter chapter 2? And so when the seed connects with the virtuous heart, look what Jesus says. Those who hear the word, accept it. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. You look at the religious establishment, the religious leaders, the learned class, and they hear Jesus speak and they reject him. Jesus goes to synagogue. Remember, during the Sabbath, you know, why were they even there? You see, in, they were guilty of the law and they want to kill Jesus when Jesus, they were guilty of the law. And, you know, guilt of the law is death. Breaking the Sabbath, that's death. And they tried to use the law of Moses to trap Jesus, ultimately to kill Jesus. Well, we're not there yet, but they're, they're already plotting. And Jesus straight up tells them, hey, I know what you guys are up to. I know what you guys are up to. And the religious establishment, the religious leaders, the ones with all the they got the certificates, they got the academia, they went through all the training, and they reject him. They reject Jesus. And then you look at the woman at the well. You look at the woman at the well. And you know, she says to Jesus, she says, our forefathers told us of a coming Messiah. And Jesus just straight up says, I who speak to you am he. Boom, she believes. I mean, I don't know how long the conversation was. I mean, you boil it down to maybe within five minutes. You know, you go with max, I mean, within, within 10 minutes. And in that conversation, the woman at the well, I mean, more could be said of her, but you know, we'll, 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 get, we'll get there. And she says, our forefathers told us of a coming Messiah. I mean, praise the Lord. I mean, we see in our study in the book of Judges how generate through one generation and then another generation, how the Lord becomes forgotten. And yet the woman at the well says, our forefathers told us. 
We see in the book of Judges how through generations the Lord can become forgotten, but this woman at the well, she knew, no, Messiah is coming. And she says to Jesus, our forefathers told us that he was coming. And then Jesus says, hey, it's me. I who speak to you am he. Instant belief. You see? She receives. And so you take the men. You take the religious leaders, the religious establishment, the learned class. And then you take the woman at the well. Look at the hearts. Observe the hearts. And what do we see? You see hard rock and soft ground. You see the wayside and you see virtuous soil. You can see it. When you factor in all the it is also written, you can see it. The same Jesus is speaking. He goes into synagogue, he speaks plainly. He speaks openly and plainly, and yet hard hearts. They plot against him. They want to kill him. They plot with the Herodians. Hey, let's kill him. They want to destroy him. They seek to destroy him. And then you take the woman at the well. Five-minute conversation, maybe ten-minute max. It's conversation, beautiful conversation. But when Jesus presents himself, hey, I am he. Boom, she believes. You can see it. You can see hard heart. And you can see soft heart. You can see virtuous soil. And you can see ground that is the wayside. And when holy seed connects with virtuous soil, look what Jesus says, and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Look what Jesus is revealing here. Look at what he's revealing. Where he takes this undeniable reality of the physical realm. I mean, you, again, you scatter the seed. You take a handful of seeds. You toss it in the air. Some falls on the dirt. Some falls on the ground. Some falls on the rock. Some goes on the, on the concrete. Some goes on the, on the asphalt. It's an undeniable reality of what happens. And using that example, he teaches a very true reality, but of the spirit realm using the parable as a stepping stone. You see? The undeniable reality of the spirit realm, which leaves every single soul with the choice to make. And the question is this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Because the physical... The physical realm, it's undeniable to everybody because it's the physical realm. Human eye can see it. But the spirit, the spirit realm, it's still undeniable, but only to those who believe. I mean, a person might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can I change the condition of my heart? My response would be, hearts can't change. Hearts can't change. 
Because human nature itself testifies that hearts can change. I mean, look at love and hate. Look at friendships. You got a friend one day, the next day he says, I hate you. You got a friend one day, the next day, you know, the, 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 the person you've never met. Next day, you guys are best of friends. Look at how hearts change. Hearts can absolutely change. You look at farmers. Look at farmers. A farmer would testify that ground can absolutely change. Earth can absolutely be cared for in a manner that is beneficial for seed to be planted, for seed to grow, and for seed to thrive. Absolutely. The farmer would testify. And if you're listening and you're not a believer, you say, I want to believe. I want to believe, but my life is a mess. I want to believe, but I've done the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the Buddha. I've done it all. I really want to believe, but I'm a mess. You know what I say? Join the club. Join the club because I was a mess too. I didn't ask the question, hey, how's your life? I didn't ask that question. I didn't say, hey, how's your life? I didn't ask that. I'm asking something completely different. Do you believe? Because Jesus cleans his own fish. Do you believe? I don't care about the mess. Do you believe? You say, wait a second, I've done the, the sex, the Ouija boards, the Buddha, the yoga, the, you know, the, 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 the crystals, the chakras. I've done it all. Listen, I'm not, I'm not asking how's your life. Do you believe? Because your life's a mess and you believe, praise be to the Lord. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. But it starts with the stepping stone. And you know what that is? You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. And if that's you, you're not a believer. And you're like, wait a second. You know what? I believe. That gears of faith are starting to turn because every single person was created with a measure of faith. Eternity was written on your heart. And those gears, there's not, they're not rusty anymore. Now those gears are starting to turn again. And you say, wait a second. I think I believe. Jesus, I used to think he was a fairy tale. But now, he's the son of God. I believe. Listen, praise be to the Lord. That was me. My life was a mess. All these things that we speak of, you know, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the Buddha, all these things that we speak of. It happens to everybody who believes, you know, prostitutes who become Christians, drug dealers who become Christians, crackheads who become Christians. Praise be to the Lord. And these things are still happening today. The door of mercy and grace, it's still open. It's going to close. You know, it's not going to be open forever. It's going to close and it's going to close soon. But as for today, let today be the day of salvation. But it requires the stepping stone. And I can't take that step for you. You got to take the step. 
And so hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen and we continue in our study and we grow together. We journey together because you and me, we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise straight up. That's our destination. And praise be to the Lord. As we start to realize, as we start to realize like, well, what's really happening in the spirit realm? Satan knows his time is short. You can see these things. I have these conversations with non-believers and sometimes the Satanists. And they hate God. They tell me, don't come to me with that. I hate Jesus and I hate you Christians. Don't come to me like that. It's just a simple question. Well, why? Why? Simple question. Why do you hate Christians? And then they tell me, well, this guy told me I was predestined for hell. I went to this pastor for counsel and he told me that he can't, he can't talk to me about eternal salvation because he thinks I'm predestined for hell and I reject that. Let me tell you something. If that's you, I reject that too because the God that he's describing is the God of John Calvin. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. They do not understand the scriptures. Now, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you. But go and listen to our studies. Go to thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com, and go and listen to our studies about Calvinism and Reformed theology. Very important to understand because your pastors, you know what they're starting to teach now? Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's what they're starting to teach in these last days. Now, if you submit to that, hello, lake of fire, you're going to burn in hell. Straight up. Very important to understand. It's not a time to play games. I'm not suggesting that there was any time in history to play games with the Lord. Never play games with the Lord. Never be lukewarm. But in these last days, in these last days, when there's no love of the truth and strong delusion that's from, of the, from the Lord that a person would believe the lie, that's judgment. When God gives a person over, that's judgment. And it's the wrath of God. You read Romans 1 and the wrath of God, which falls upon individuals, but it happens for a reason. And people speak of, oh, Romans 1, it's about the homosexuals, the lesbians, and all these things. And yeah, there's that. But what about heterosexual sin? What about pornography? What about the strippers? Christians, with the, they watch the dirty movies. And a lot of Christians like to point the finger at, hey, look at the lesbians, look at the homosexuals, look at the transgender movement, all these things. But when you point your finger, you know what? Hello, you got three little fingers pointing right back at you. Cannot be a hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly. And a lot of Christians, oh, you know what? I see this craziness in this church. I see this craziness in this church. So I'm going to go to the Calvinist. I'm going to go to the Reformed church where there's more church government and they're going to keep things in check. Yeah, but they're also going to tell you, take the lake of fire. Or, you know, well, take the lake of fire. They can tell you, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Not to mention the theology is completely wrong. And we don't say these things to hurt you. We say these things as a way of saying, hey, jump ship. You got to jump ship. Because we're in the last days. And Satan knows his time is short. And he's a dirty fighter. He's a dirty fighter. You know, you know like babies? 
You know, he doesn't mind babies. He doesn't mind baby believers. He does not mind baby believers at all because they're not a threat to him. And you and me, we think, okay, little baby believers, it's so beautiful. And yes, it's so beautiful. But Satan, he wants to kill them. He wants to destroy them. He wants them to burn in the lake of fire where he's going. Eternal separation away from the Lord. Very serious business. And we have to understand the truth of God's holy word. Because when there's no love of the truth, one of the forms of judgment from the Lord is the strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see, they cannot receive the truth. In the last days, you know what that is? It's the famine of the word of God. The famine of the word of God. Very important to understand the prophecies. And not just prophecy one, not just prophecy two as like individually, like, okay, Ezekiel says this, and, you know, Paul says this, and Jeremiah says this, and Daniel says this, and Amos says it. No, put it all together. Put the pieces together and see what's happening. Very important. And so look what Jesus says here in verse 21. Here in Mark chapter 4, he says, in verse 21, also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Straight up, he just asks a question point blank. Is it not to be set on the lampstand? And so let's say you and me are in a dark room and we don't want to knock anything over. We don't want to get hurt. And so you bust out your flashlight. You bust out your flashlight. Now, would I take that flashlight? Would I put it under the mattress? Would I put that under a basket? No, because we want to see. We want there to be light. And in John chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, is this a contradiction? When you put the Gospels together and you read the Gospels accounting for the other Gospels, accounting for the it is also written in the law and the prophets, in the epistles. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Is this a contradiction? Not at all. Not at all. The only way both are true, where Jesus is the light and you are the light, the only way is when you and me, when we abide in Christ and he in us, he's the only way. And don't forget in Matthew, he also says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. And so Mark's account here in Mark chapter four, you know, is it, is it not to be set on a lampstand? In verse 22, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. You say, a person, wait a minute, you know, a person could easily say, wait a minute, wait a minute, because the Pharisees, you said last week that truth is withheld, and here Jesus is saying that nothing is kept secret. How are these reconciled? Don't forget, do not forget, the Lord, he's reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. You know what that means? Ball's in your court. Ball's in your court. Ball's in my court. The ball was in the Pharisee's court. 
And Jesus is speaking to the tiny bubble. When before, Jesus spoke plainly, openly. He was in synagogue. Look at what could have happened with the Pharisees. What could have happened when opportunity was presented to them to make a choice? You see, it's just like our study in 1 Samuel. Just like our study in 1 Samuel. Remember the the religious leaders of the Philistines? Remember? Things could have been so much easier. So much easier if the religious establishment of the Philistines, if the priest said, hey guys, we got to get rid of our idols. We got to get rid of Dagon. And we have to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Things would have been so much easier. But now we see in this latest war in our study in 1 Samuel, now they're dead. You see, where opportunity was given. Anytime you see judgment and wrath in the Bible, anytime and every time you see judgment and wrath in the Bible, every single time prior to that, There's always a period of mercy and grace. Always. Always, always, always mercy and grace. Always. Don't forget, you know, how it would have been so much easier for Pharaoh or for Pharaoh in Egypt where when when the plagues came, when Moses and Aaron came, you know, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. When that happened, everybody rejected the God of Israel. Everybody, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everybody in Egypt rejected the Lord. The water turned red. They say, hey, you know, hey, Pharaoh, our gods can do that too. Our gods have power too. And yes, those gods did have power. They had a certain ability. But then the hail came. Whoa, who is this God of the Hebrew people? Who is this God of the Hebrew? Because, you know, our gods can, you know, get the water red, some frogs over here. Okay, look, no big deal for our gods. No big deal. But the hail and everybody who rejected the Hebrew God, all of a sudden, everybody around Pharaoh, Pharaoh, listen, we have our gods. But Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrew people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Pharaoh, our gods are no match for him. He is higher. You see? And a choice was presented. And at first, they rejected the Lord. They rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They rejected the Hebrew God. But in the course of time, they said, whoa, he is most high. The problem was that they submitted to Pharaoh. And submission to Pharaoh, they're dead. You see? Very important to understand. Very, very important to understand with the Pharisees. Where, yes, Jesus, you know, all things come in parables. Here in Mark 4, all things come in parables. But you look a couple chapters back, Jesus spoke Openly, plainly. In chapter 3, parables to the religious leaders. Opportunity was presented. 
and they had to make a choice. And we see this very interesting dichotomy here in Mark chapter 4. I mean, we've seen it all through scripture, but it's kind of palpable here in Mark 4. Truth is hidden and truth is revealed. What's the determining factor? Who is the soul that comes to Jesus, son of the most high God? You see, truth is hidden and truth is revealed. Remember the example before where you and me were a thousand meters back and we have our binoculars and we look, hey, look, there's a guy over there. We can see him in the distance. We need our binoculars. Hey, look over there, a thousand meters away. Oh, look, he's over there. But we're not cheek to cheek with him. We're not five feet away. We're a thousand meters away where we can see him. We need our binoculars and we can see him, but we can't hear him. You see? Who is the soul that comes to Jesus? And this door is presented to everybody. It's presented to everybody, this door. But who comes to the door? Who enters the door? And who stays inside? Very important to understand. In light of what the apostles write, in light of what the prophets write, in, in light of the law of Moses. And for those who abide, nothing is hidden. For those who abide in Christ, nothing is hidden. But the Bible speaks of many mysteries. The Bible speaks of the mystery of godliness and the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the kingdom and the mystery of the last days. Absolutely. You say, wait a second. Jesus says here that nothing is hidden, but then now you're bringing up the, the mystery of godliness and the mystery of the kingdom. And yes, these are biblical truths. The mystery of the kingdom. The mystery to godliness. But I thought he, Jesus says nothing is hidden. How are these two things reconciled? Does this, is this a contradiction in the Bible? No, that's what the mocker would say. That's what the scoffer would say. But remember Paul's prayer request to the Colossian saints in Colossians chapter 4 and his prayer request. Paul's prayer request to them was that God would open the door. God would Open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. That was Paul's prayer request so that he can teach and speak on the mysteries that were not hidden from him. The Lord revealed them to Paul so that he can teach the saints. You see, the body caring for the body. You see, And here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 24, And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear, he says. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Now, 
This is very interesting what our Lord says here. Very interesting. Because he says, take heed, or translates as, have regard for what you hear. Now, let's say, for example, let's just say, for example, you and me, we go to church. We go to church together, and we're going to go to church at Joel Osteen's church. We're you and me. We're going to go to Joel Osteen's church, and we sit down among many thousands of people. And outside of church, you and me, we've been reading the Bible. We've been studying the Bible. Well, in this example, by you and me taking heed to what we hear, taking heed. Remember, verse 24, take heed what you hear. And so in this example, you and me, we're sitting in Osteen's church. And we're taking heed to what we hear. And you and me, you know what's going to happen? We're going to leave. We're out. Because we take heed to what we hear. And there's no alignment to the word of God. There's no alignment to Genesis and Revelation and everything in between. There's no alignment to the Bible. The pastor speaks. Yeah, there's a pastor. And yeah, he speaks. But it doesn't match the Bible. It doesn't match Scripture. And what we're doing, we're taking heed to what we hear. We just want the truth. That's it. We don't want milk. We want the meat and potatoes. We don't want the milk of the Word of God. And the milk of the Word of God is beautiful, but it's for babies. We're to move on to perfection and leave the elementary things. Remember our study in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6? Very important to understand. We just want the truth. We don't want milk. We want meat and potatoes. And so by using that standard as a unit of measurement, these are things that the Lord sees. These are things that the Lord sees. Remember our study in the book of Judges where in the book of Judges, when you look at those, that, that era of generation upon generation upon generation where the Lord becomes forgotten and the Lord is forgotten and everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. But then all of a sudden you look, what, what, what's over here? Who, who's this over here? Deborah. Who, who's this over here? Ehud. Who's this? Who's this gal over here? Yeah, L. Remember the tent pig? Who, who's this over here? Jephthah. And who's this? Who's this next to Jephthah? That's his beautiful daughter. So you see a generation that forgets the Lord, generation upon generation. And in the judges' era, the Lord has become forgotten. But then you see a people, wait a second, they haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten. And so you and me in the Osteen example, we're sitting there and we have our Bible, Bible studies. You know, we're outside of church. We have our Bible studies. We meet and we have our Bible studies. We read the Bible. We study. We discuss the Bible. We pray. And it's such beautiful fellowship. And then we sit down in church and we're like, what? What is this? That's not what the Bible says. What is this? And so we leave. Because we take heed to what we hear. Exactly what Jesus says here in verse 24. We take heed to what we hear. We just 
want the truth. That's it. Meat and potatoes. We want depth. And the Lord is reactionary. Remember, I mean, you read Hebrews 11 in the halls of faith in Hebrews 11 and you see Barak. It's like, wait, wait a second. There's Barak in, 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 in Hebrews 11. And it's like, okay, there's Barak. But then when you read the account in Judges, what do you see in Barak? Where Barak says to Deborah, hey, Deborah, I'm not going to war without you. And then you see Deborah, remember the jumper cables? Praise the Lord for those two, male and female. Praise the Lord. A lot, you know, a lot of men like to get on their male high horse. Oh, we're the men. We're the men. Women, you have to submit. You have to submit. Listen, wives submit to their own husbands. Very important to understand. Pastors, overseers, only male. But outside of that, remember how Paul had to tell the, the saints in Rome? Hey, you know, speaking of... Uh, 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 um, Phoebe, hey, receive her because she's with me. Receive her. Do what she says, what she needs for the ministry. And a lot of men get on their high horse. Oh, we're the men. Hey, ladies, step aside. We're the men. Rubbish. Rubbish. Oh, women have to submit. No, wives submit to their own husbands. You see? Now, you know, if you're listening for the first time, I mean, go and listen to our studies through, you know, uh, 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 thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com, and go and listen to our studies about the Christian home. Because, yes, wives, submit to your own husbands, but a husband formula has to be right in husband. Husband wants to be crazy? Husband, husband wants to do his sex and drugs and rock and roll and a whole nine yards? A wives, you cannot submit to crazy town. You cannot submit to crazy town. You submit to Jesus, the better husband. Husband wants to be stupid? Hey, don't divorce. Irreconcilable differences, no divorce. I mean, there, there are specific parameters for divorce, and it's the wife's choice. Well, most of the time, it's the wife's choice to make. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the woman is unfaithful, and the man has to make a choice to make. But nine times out of ten, it's the, 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 the guy goes off into crazy town. So, you know, wives submit to your own husbands, but there's a very specific formula for the Christian home. Go and listen to those studies. Very important. We're in the last days. It's not a time to play games. And a lot of times you see Christian pastors and they say, oh, you know, wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your husbands. And they, they do it without accounting for the it is also written. And then you have like slave wives that are in, in the home where you have wife that is not wife that is less wife, that wife that is more concubine, sexual slave. Because of the stupid counsel from stupid men who call themselves pastors who have no business at the pulpit. You see? And so you and me with the Joel Osteen example, we're, all we're doing is what the Lord is saying. That we take heed to what we hear. And we realize, hey, this guy is speaking, but it's no, there's no alignment to scripture. So we got to get out of here because we're taking heed to what we hear. And the Lord is reactionary. Where the Lord says in verse 24 that when we hear, more will be given. More will be given. We see that in verse 24. More will be given. 
And this is how a person moves on to perfection. Remember our study in Hebrews? Where we leave the elementary things and move on to perfection? If the Lord permits, remember? If the Lord permits. It's the Calvinist who wrongly assumes things about God's will. They wrongly assume things about the will of God. And they say, well, there's the permissive, there's the permissive will, and then God has his, his perfect will. And then they just make up things that are not even in the Bible. And yes, it is true that we do mature if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. But when you account for the it is also written, we see something deeper. That by loving truth and by heeding what we hear, it reaps God's blessings. Obedience to the word of God always has blessings. You see? Then you have certain theologies. They make these assumptions. Well, you know, in God's sovereignty, he wills this. Well, he gives very specific blueprints. Very specific blueprints. And when you account for all these, it is also written, you start to see the hand of God. And it's palpable in your own life. I mean, when you apply the word of God to your life, you can see it. You can feel it. And you know it. You see? Remember our studies in the epistles? How there is a very certain confidence that is allotted only to the remnant. Only to the remnant in accordance to the truth of God's holy word. And it's the seal of the Spirit. A very specific confidence and a very sure confidence. And it's not boastful. It's not prideful. And it's also not foolish. And that must be said, it's not foolish because you have a lot of baby Christians. And when I say baby Christians, I don't mean babies who became Christians, you know, within the month. They became Christians within six months. No, when I say that there's a lot of baby Christians, these are people who've been babies for three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And this is where you enter the realm of leaven. Leaven, ter- leaven territory where they're babies, but they're staying babies. And they have a foolish confidence. And their foolish confidence, oh, I believe in the finished work of the cross. And so I'm going to do my sex. I'm going to do my Buddha. I'm going to do my Ouija board. I'm going to do these things with the occult. And I believe in the finished work of the cross. That's a foolish confidence. And there shouldn't be any confidence at all. Oh, but I have the seal of the Spirit. No, no, the Bible is very specific on who is sealed. And there is a confidence that only is allotted to the remnant. Oh, but I believe in the finished work of the cross. Listen, the finished work of the cross, yes, it is finished. Jesus is the one who says to tell us that it is finished. The work of the cross is finished. But you know what? Jesus, he's not on the cross anymore. He's at the right hand of God. And every high priest comes with gifts. And what are the gifts of the Spirit? How are they given? 
or the Lord sees. And the Lord sees. And so that example we gave, you and me, we go to church. It happens to be Joel Osteen's church. And we're doing exactly what the word of God says because we've studied the Bible. And it's like we sit down in five minutes. We're like, whoa, what is this guy talking about? What is this guy talking about? Say we're new to town. And we just do like a little internet search. Okay, where's the nearest church? Okay, here it is. And boom, we go. And we're sitting there five minutes. And you see the pastor come out. And he's speaking. It's like, whoa, what is this? And all we're doing is what Jesus says. We're taking heed to what we hear. And then boom, we're out. And then Jesus says, and you know, when we hear that more will be given, that's how we move on to perfection. That's how we move on to perfection. Because it is biblically true. If the Lord permits this growth and maturity, moving on to perfection, it is true. If the Lord permits. But a person wants to be a milk drinker for 10 years. You think that person's going to move on to maturity? You think the Lord will permit him or her to move on to maturity? When they do not understand the elementary things, when they're their own lifestyles, the lifestyle testifies of foolishness. You think that person is going to move on to maturity? And I don't say this in a manner that's like, whoa. I say it in a manner like the other whoa, W-O-E, exclamation point. You know why? Because the milk drinkers have no root. It's the setup job. It's the setup job, what we studied earlier. It's Satan. He's not afraid of babies. And all he does, a little tribulation, a little persecution, boom, he's got him. You see? Very serious business. We're talking heaven and hell here. Very serious business. I mean, we could look at Paul and say like, wow, you know, Paul knows his stuff. You know, wow, he's got knowledge. And yes, it's true that Paul knows his stuff. And we understand that knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the greatest gift. And yes, Paul knows his stuff. But does he use it to boast? Does he use it to boast? No way. He uses it to go fishing. To go into the the hornet's nest to go into synagogue to go and preach to the Gentile both Jew and Gentile to the Jew first don't forget to the Jew first and so Paul would go into synagogue and then he goes to the Gentiles he doesn't use his knowledge the gift of the spirit he doesn't use that for self-aggrandizement he doesn't use it to boast because he's the one who says of himself, he says, hey, I'm trash. We're the scum of the earth. That's what he says of himself. And so you and me in the Osteen example, there we are sitting in the Osteen church. And then we leave because all we're doing is what the Lord says. We're taking heed to what goes in our ear. Because we read the Bible and we have our own Bible study, you know, and it's like, okay, it's Sunday. Let's go to church. We go to church and then we, we, we sit down and Osteen's like, wow, this is a big church. Wow, all these people. Wow, it's like a, it's like a, quite the presentation here. They sing and we're like, wow, wow, this is like a, you know, like a, a big major production here. 
And then boom, all of a sudden, guy comes out, starts teaching, and within five minutes, what is this? What is this? That's not what the Bible says. He's cherry picking. That's not what the Bible says at all. Look, he's not accounting for the it is also written. You see? And so we leave, you and me. We're doing exactly what Jesus says. We're taking heed to what we hear, what you and me, what we permit in our little tiny ear holes. We're taking heed to what we permit in our little tiny ear holes. And it's like, what is this guy talking about? We're out of here. We're out of here. And then let's say a couple years later, time passes. And then we see some of the people from Osteen's church. And then we notice something. We notice something. They're still on milk. They're still on milk. They're still drinking milk. And it's drops of milk, if that. You know, there's no depth to their understanding of the Bible. There's no depth to their understanding of the Word of God. There's no depth. They're still on milk. And it's little tiny, little tiny drops of milk, if it's even milk at all. But they're still babies. Yes, they believe in Jesus. And but wait a second, it's like if they're submitting themselves to him and he presents the Bible like that, is it even the biblical Jesus? Or is it an imposter Jesus? Is it a fake Jesus that the real Jesus warns about? Remember the disciples asked Jesus, what's the sign of the last days? What's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus is the one that says there's going to be many Christs. Many Christs. You see, how will we know? You take a lineup of a thousand Christs. Everybody looks the same. They're the same height, same hair, same garb. How will we know who is the true Jesus? Because everything has to match. What is spoken has to match. That's how we'll know. Why? Because it is written. His word is above his name. That's how we'll know. And so you and me, it's a couple years later. And we see some of the people from the Osteen church. And it's like, oh my goodness, they're still on milk. We left because we, you know, we knew that the, 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 the doctrine was wrong. No meat and potatoes. We just want the truth. And so we meet these people. We see them. And whoa, there's no depth. They're still on milk. And then they see us, they oh, hi, how are you? They see us, and we're kind of like, oh, you know, they saw us, you know. Hi, how are you? Hey, we're going to go to the bar and get some drinks since it's happy hour. Hey, come join us. We can get caught up. Come on, let's join us, and we might get a little tipsy. And then you and me, we're like, eh, no thanks. And we don't, we don't, we don't partake in those things anymore. And we're just, we're just honest. We're not going to lie. We're just honest. No, thank you. You know, we don't, that was the old lifestyle. Not anymore. What do you think they're going to say of us? Remember this whole time they've had a steady diet of milk, a steady diet of milk. If that 
poisonous milk. They've not matured. They've not matured. What do you think they're going to say? Oh, they're just a bunch of legalists. Look, they don't want to, they don't want to get tipsy with us. Look, it's happy hour. Oh, they're better than us. They think they're better. They're elitist. Look at them two legalists. Oh, God is love. And Pastor Osteen, he teaches us well. He teaches us about God's love. You see, and you and me, all we're doing, all we're doing, we're just being obedient to the word of God. That's it. We're taking heed to what we hear. We got like guards at our ear holes. We're taking heed to what we hear. Pastor wants to speak crazy town? No, I'm not going to submit to that guy. Look at you. Hey, I'm not going to submit to that guy either. It's like, oh, praise the Lord. Where are we going to go? <laughs> you see, we're taking heed to what we hear. Just as our Lord instructs. We're just being obedient. Choosing to be obedient. And making choices in our lives to honor the Lord. And live our lives. That our lives can be a sweet aroma unto Him. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Obedience. We're choosing obedience. Now, that's one thing. That's one thing. When you see the, the milk drinkers and the, the ones who eat the meat and potatoes. When you see the milk drinkers and those who eat the meat and potatoes. Now, what do you think will happen when the storms of life come? When tribulation and persecution comes? Who will remain standing in the Lord and who will fall away? And our Lord... Son of the Most High God, He has already revealed it to us in Mark chapter 4. It's the milk drinkers. They're going to fall. You see? And that's terrifying for them. And where are the messengers? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? The pastors. Where are the elders? Where in the world are they? The milk drinkers are in great danger. Very difficult. This is, this is very difficult to teach babies. Very difficult to teach babies. I mean, if you're a new listener, if you're a milk drinker, I mean, praise be to the Lord that you're listening. But, you know, you know, hearing evokes a response. And let's move on to perfection. Understand the, the blueprints. Listen to our study through Hebrews 5 and Hebrews uh, 6. Very important to understand. Yes, it's true if the Lord permits. And just like in the natural realm and the, the, the natural world testifies of these things. A beautiful, beautiful baby drinking milk. A tiny little baby drinking milk. It's so beautiful. You got a little baby burp. You know, you see the little milk on the cheek and it's so beautiful. Little tiny baby, little little diapers. It's got the, the little bottle and the little binky. It's so beautiful. Little tiny baby. But then you take a 35-year-old male with a beard and the deep voice. And in diapers, with the binky, with the bottle, saying goo goo gaga, that's disgusting. That's unnatural behavior. 
You see? It's not cute anymore. It was cute when he was tiny. But 35-year-old male with the deep voice and... That's, that's stupid. That's foolishness. That's disgusting. That's nasty. That's delusion. That's strong delusion. What about in the faith? The same thing. The same thing. And if you're listening and you're a milk drinker, this isn't judgment. But what it is, it's, it's not judgment in terms of crino, but it is judgment in terms of anacrino and diacrino. And it's also chastisement. Because if you're a milk drinker, I'll say this. Cut it out. Cut it out. Choose this day whom you shall serve. Don't be lukewarm. If you're a milk drinker, cut it out. Because babies don't understand this. Baby Christians do not understand. And understanding of these truths, it comes in time along with maturity. But remember, if the Lord permits. What could be said of Paul? What could be said of Paul? Oh, Paul saw me. What could the saints in Corinth? You know, before in before chapter five, what could be said of Paul? Well, actually at chapter five, maybe even chapter six. What could be said of Paul? Paul so mean. Paul so mean. He's not loving. Paul so mean. He calls me leaven. He calls me leaven because I do the sex. I do the alcohol. I extort my employer. Paul so mean. He's so cruel. He's not loving. You see, babies don't understand. Levin doesn't understand. And babies have a hard time with these truths because they simply don't understand. You look at children today. Children today, not, you know, believer or non-believer. But you look at children today, you know, baby girl says, Mom, I want to go play in the park. Mom, I want to go play in the park. And mama says, no. Baby girl, no. Baby girl says, mom, you're so mean. You're not loving, mom. You're supposed to love me, mom. Unbeknownst to baby girl, the park, the drug dealers are at the park. There's needles on the ground. You got coked out people at the park. Kids have been abducted from the park. There's shootings. There's gang wars over territory at the park. Kids have died from ingesting fentanyl they picked up off the ground at the park. Baby girl thinks mom is mean and cruel. Mom, you're so mean. But mama is protecting her child. And the child simply doesn't understand because baby girl hasn't matured. Baby girl doesn't know about the dangers that exist. Baby girl doesn't know about, you know, if she steps on a needle Baby girl doesn't know about if she's exposed to fentanyl. If she touches it, if she ingests it, she doesn't know that she could die. Baby girl doesn't know these things and baby girl shouldn't know these things because she's baby girl. But in the course of time, baby girl will be an adult. And at that time, baby girl is going to realize, whoa, 
Mama was protecting me. I wanted to go to the park so bad. And I said she was mean. I thought she was mean. I thought she was cruel to me because I cried and cried and cried. And Mama didn't let me go to the park. And as an adult, baby girl can realize, whoa, Mama was protecting me. And likewise with Paul. He's so mean. He's so mean. But when you understand the spirit realm and the war that rages, the tactics of Satan, the tactics of Lucifer, who didn't, didn't seduce five angels or ten angels. No, no, no. He seduced one-third of all the angels. You have the Most High God. The Most High God. And you take 100% of the population in the angelic realm, in the spirit realm. All the angels. And then Lucifer says, I'm going to ascend higher than the Most High. I will exalt myself. And you have one third of the angels who changed their allegiance from the Most High to Lucifer. And the Most High says, boom, get out of here. You see? Lake of fire for them. People say, why would God have the lake of fire? Why would God have the lake of fire if he loves people so much? Why would God have a lake of fire? Understand, the lake of fire is for Lucifer and the demons, the fallen angels. The lake of fire is for them. The problem, the issue, the battle is that what they want to do is they want to take you with them. They want to take God's creation with them. Why would God make hell for people? I hear it all the time from the non-believer. If God is love, why would he even have hell? No, it's for Lucifer. Lucifer, he's a fisherman too. The demons, they're fishermen too. And they want to drag people to hell. And so baby believers, when they mature, if the Lord wills, not in a Calvinistic sense, but if the Lord wills in a biblical sense, understanding very specific formula for the will of God. Just you and me in the Osteen example. You and me taking heed to what we hear. We hear Osteen speak five minutes, boom, we're out. Hey, we can't submit ourselves to this guy because the formula is not right. He's not teaching sound doctrine. We can't submit to this guy. Yeah, he calls himself pastor. And yes, all these people call him pastor. And yes, all these people submit themselves to him. But they're babies. They're milk drinkers. If it's even milk, it's poisonous milk. And yeah, you can look at the numbers and be like, wow, they got a lot of people. They got a lot of people. And that's terrifying for them. Because when tribulation comes, when persecution comes, they're going to fall. Our Lord has revealed what's going to happen to them. They're going to fall. Yeah, they, they endure. But it's not for the long haul. Just for a little bit. Until persecution comes. Until tribulation comes. And yes, life has varying stages and varying degrees of tribulation and trials and persecutions. But in the last days... That persecution, that tribulation, 
Think of what that falling away is going to look like when people submit themselves to the wrong shepherd. They submit themselves to the wrong pastor. And so people could look at Paul, you know, the, the, the uh, first Corinthians chapter five era, the leaven. They could say of Paul, oh, he's so mean. He's so mean. He's so mean. And just like mama with baby girl, when you look at the spirit realm and that battlefield and that fight and that war, you can see Paul, he's protecting the saints. He's protecting the remnant as a faithful shepherd called of God, according to a very, very holy formula. Look what Jesus continues to teach us. Remember, he's speaking about taking heed to what you hear and more being given when you do take heed to what you hear in verse 25. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And in verse 25, what a lot of people do, a lot of times you'll hear people use this verse to justify worldly possessions. But as for us, we don't do that. We don't do that. The very thing that our Lord says in verse 23, the very thing that he says, ears to hear in verse 23, ears to hear. So let's take these ears to hear. Let's take these ears to ears to hear and let's reread verse 25. In verse 25, let's reread verse 25, taking the ears to hear. For whoever has ears to hear, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have ears to hear, even what he has will be taken away from him. You see, understand the Lord. He has given us very specific blueprints in his holy word. And you know, it blows me away so much to think and consider the very fact that Episcopals, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Calvinists, the Reformed, the Catholics, they have Bibles. They have Bibles. They have Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. They have Bibles, and yet truth is veiled from them. You see? But it happens for a reason. It happens for a very specific reason, exactly like the Word of God says, according to His blueprints, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. Where are the ears to hear? And I've had these conversations before with Catholics, Methodists, Lutherans, Calvinists. A Catholic who says, well, I read the Bible and I believe in Jesus. Okay. Then why are you there? Because obedience to Jesus, the biblical Jesus, he doesn't say worship Mary. He doesn't say pray to Mary. He doesn't say pray to angels. You see, where is obedience? 
As a Catholic, oh, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. Okay, you can read your Bible. That's nice. Where is obedience to the Bible? The Methodists. Oh, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. What's the, what's the beef? Where is obedience to the Bible? Oh, you're, you're such a legalist, you're such a legalist. Well, show me. How? How? How is, where do you see legalism? Just like the Osteen example, you and me. Hey, hey come on, let, let, let's go. Let's go get a little tipsy tonight. It's a happy hour. Let's go get tipsy. We're like, no, no, no. we're not. We, we're not going to partake in that. You know, before we were Christians, we might have said yes, but now that we're believers, no, we don't partake in those things anymore. You know what they're going to say? Oh, look, he's a legalist. Oh, look, he's a. Oh, look, she's a legalist. Look at these legalists. Look at these two legalists. They think they're special. They think they're, you know, they think they're elitist. When all we're doing is choosing to obey the word of God in accordance to very specific blueprints written. You see? And all these people, they have their Bibles. The Lutherans, the Calvinists, the Reformed, the Catholics. And yet we see that truth is not revealed to them. You see? And a person might say, well, wait a second. Faith comes by hearing. And I say, amen. Amen. Where are the preachers? Where are the preachers to preach? Where are the teachers to teach? Where are the shepherds? Where are the pastors to pastor? See, God's judgment is absolutely coming. And remember what Brother Peter says. It begins in the church. It begins in the church. You see? And a lot of Christians say, oh yeah, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming upon them. No, 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 no. God's judgment begins in the church. It begins in the house of God. It starts with us. You see? In verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground in verse 27 and should sleep at night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. So the word goes forth. The word goes forth. The preacher, the pastor, the teacher speaks and the word goes forth. Beyond that, there's no human control or manipulation or coercion. Whenever you see pastors lord over people, you see pastors lord over people, you see pastors manipulate, you see pastors coerce. And this happens a lot in organized religion and the traditions of men. What's happening is they're dabbling with things they ought not dabble with because they're interfering with something holy, very holy. Just like our study in 1 Samuel. Just like our study in 1 Samuel where something so holy, speaking of the ark, something so holy, it brought affliction. You think, wow, something so holy should bring Blessings. If it's so holy, it should bring good things. If something's so holy, it should be a good thing for the people. And yes, something so holy, 
is a good thing for the people, but the people in whom the formula is right. A people who are clean before the Lord. You see? Something so holy. Something so holy. Speaking of the ark. Something so holy. In Israel, when the formula is wrong on the battlefield, they lose. They die. They suffer casualties. And then the ark goes into the camp of the Philistines. And then what happens? The gross, the tumors start to come. And then the next town, the tumors and then death. And then the next town, they're like, hey, get it out of here. Get it out of here. And it would have been so much easier if the priest of the Philistines says, hey, the God of Israel, Dagon, he's nothing. Our, our God, Dagon, he is nothing compared to the God of the Hebrew people. And instead of saying, hey, let's worship the God of the Hebrew people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what do they say? The priests. They're the ones who say, okay, send this away on these, this cart. You know, let's rebuild the cart, you know, of Gentile hands, wooden cart with two female cows. And let's send it away. And it would have been so much easier if they just received the Lord. Received the Lord. It would have been so much easier if they accepted the Lord. But they didn't. And the priests are the one who say that they said to the Philistine people, if you do this, you guys are going to be healed. Now look what happens. Israel comes back. And Israel, you know, and they don't just come back, you know, they go to Mizpah and then the, the Philistines, they see it and they say, well, there's a threat growing here. And they go to war. Except there's something different. This isn't like the last battle. In Israel, the formula is right. And what happens? The Philistines lose. They suffer casualties. I mean, you would think something so holy, speaking of the ark, you would think it would bring something good. It should bring something good. It's holy. I thought holiness was a good thing. Holiness is a beautiful thing. Holiness is holy. But holiness brings affliction. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, holy matters when not handled in holiness. It brings affliction. You see? And Jesus is explaining about seed being scattered and growth that happens. But yet the sower doesn't know how. It just happens. It's organic. There's no manipulation. There's no coercion. You see? And in verse 28, for the earth yields crop by, crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. Remember our study in Leviticus? The grain, the grain, the grain. Remember? These are holy matters. But when the grain ripens, in verse 29, when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I mean, we see the word sickle here and it's kind of scary. Like, you know, what's the sickle doing here? Isn't that a bad thing? Well, the sickle, it can be bad, but it doesn't have to be. Because what comes after the harvest? What comes after the harvest? Because there's the sickle, but what happens after the harvest? I'll ask it another way. 
barn or burn? You see? Sickle than barn or sickle than burn? You're listening. You're like, whoa, barn is better. You know, I don't want to burn. You know, but barn is better. Barn is better. Praise the Lord. But also understand that entry into the barn has a very specific formula, very specific instructions. It's very easy. It's super easy. It's so simple, but it's very intricate. But it starts with this. You must be born again. You must be born again. Born into Adam. Every single human born into Adam. Born into Adam, there's no entry into paradise. Remember the first census in the book of Numbers? First census, no promised land. Second census, promised land. You must be born again. An Old Testament example of born into Adam and born into Christ. An Old Testament example of this very truth. Second generation. Entry into the promised land. You and me with our second generation. First generation is BC days, born in, you know, before Christ. Born into Adam, you come out of your mother's womb, and boom, you're born into Adam. But then you come to Christ. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You believe in Him. You repent and receive Him as Lord. And boom, born into Christ, born again. Second generation, inside of you, inside of me, entry into the promised land. You see? Remember the stones in the River Jordan? Very interesting. Remember the stepping stones in the River Jordan? 12 and 12. Both Jew and Gentile. 12 tribes. 12 apostles. Remember? The Word of God testifies of these very truths. So you say, barn is better. Barn is better. Burn, no good. Burn, no good. Barn is better. Okay, you must be born again. And if that's you and you're not a born again Christian, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right here, right now. You come back, you listen. And we continue in our journey, you and me together to paradise. Look what happens here in verse 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or, with what parable shall we picture it? In verse 31, it is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, it grows up, and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, look how our Lord speaks. Look how our Lord speaks. He's teaching about the kingdom of God using the stepping stones of parables to lead people to himself. Remember. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful how he speaks. And we see here in verse 33, And with many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. But without parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. You see? Understand that depth of knowledge and revealing of mystery. You're not going to get it with the New York Times bestseller. It only comes through intimacy with Jesus. 
It only comes through intimacy with Him. And the Word became flesh. People say it all the time. Oh, I want to learn about prayer, so I'm going to get this book. I want to learn about godly love, so I'm going to get this crazy love, you know, whatever. I'm going to get the book written by this guy, written by this lady. I want to learn about this, how to be a prayer warrior. And I'm going to get New York Times bestseller. The revealing of the mystery of God, the revealing of the mystery of the kingdom. You're not, you're not going to get it from any other book outside of the word of God. You won't. You see? And Jesus here in verse 34, yes, he speaks in parables. But yet he explains all things to a tiny bubble. To his disciples. In verse 35, on the same day, <laughs> on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Very interesting words that our Lord uses here. Because he speaks of the sickle. He speaks of harvest. And now he speaks of crossing over. Very interesting. Very interesting. He says, let us cross over to the other side. In verse 36, now when he had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Very interesting. So they leave the multitude. And there's a boat with Jesus and the disciples. And then other little boats gathered together with them. Very interesting. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And sometimes you might hear pastors, you know, they kind of make fun of the disciples. They kind of make fun of the disciples here. You know, I, I mean, you know, teacher, you don't care that we're perishing. And for us today, you know, we're so spoiled now because we have the full counsel of the word of God. We know the tomb is empty. We know that he rose. But here at this particular moment, there are things that the disciples, they just don't know yet. They're not yet apostles. You see? So for me, for us here, you know, we, we cut them some slack. You see? They're on the verge of death. And in the storm, they wake up our Lord. They wake up Jesus. In verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Look at what's happening here. One moment, the storm is going to kill us. The next moment, great calm. Great calm. I've been in the middle of the Pacific Ocean before. I've been in the Pacific Ocean during El Nino. And that boat was a rockin'. It was rocking. You know, you, you're standing at a 45 degree angle. You know, the, the, the waters, they were just insane where, you know, you, you're standing upright. You're standing straight up. But when you look at it with the, with the deck of the ground, you know, it looks like you're like at a 45 degree angle. It was crazy. But then I've also been in the middle of the Pacific where it's the same ocean and it looks like a mirror. No waves, no crests. 
it looks like a mirror, smooth glass. And it looks like uh, it looks like a mirror because, you know, you look down and it's like the same as looking up because of the reflection. It's just, it's almost eerie. It's just like calm, like crazy. It's not even, you can't even see like a little dip of the wave. Or, it's just like straight calm. It looks like glass. It looks like you can ice skate on it. It's so like flat. No waves, no nothing, just flat. And so here with Jesus... It wasn't a seasonal change. It wasn't El Nino that came. You know, the seasons came. With Jesus here, the tempest turned to calm. And it was immediate. It was immediate. Jesus, he commanded the sea. He commanded, he said, peace, be still. He commanded the sea. This is something that hasn't happened since Moses. Now, you see why, you know, with Nathaniel, you know, it's Jesus. He was kind of amused with Nathaniel because, you know, with Nathaniel, remember our study in Mark 1 and we look at, you know, uh, 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 other gospel writers. But with Nathaniel, Jesus was kind of amused a little bit because, you know, he says to Nathaniel, you know, Nathaniel tells him, you know, you, you, you are the, you are the Messiah. And, and Jesus says, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You're going to see greater things. <laughs> and the, the waters are straight up calm. Jesus says, peace, be still, and boom, calm. Calm waters. When the disciples, they thought they were going to die. You know, teacher, are you going to let us perish? You're going to let us die? They thought they were going to die, and boom, calm. In verse 40, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith look at consider the shock of what just happened the shock of what just they thought they were gonna die but through it jesus is giving intense lessons on something so simple and it's faith faith where through parable Jesus just spoke on storms and tribulation and persecution and how those roots will fall away. And in this storm, in this tempest, with Jesus, in this tribulation of the waters, where is the falling away? It's non-existent. And then Jesus speaks on faith. How is it that you have no faith? What a lesson for all of us. So that our faith can grow more and more and more and deeper and deeper and deeper as you and me move on to perfection. What a lesson for us. In verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be? Now, remember, they already knew Jesus is the Messiah. They knew that. Remember, Nathaniel, you are the Messiah. Remember, Philip, you know, Nathaniel, we, we, we found the one who, who Moses wrote about. We found the one who the prophets wrote about, the Messiah. We found him. He's here. And Nathaniel says, hey, you know, you are the Messiah. And Jesus kind of like, you know, not laughs about it, but it's kind of like humored a little bit by it because you know, I said the fig tree, and, and I said I saw you under the fig tree, and you believe it. You're going to see greater things. And now the sea calms at the very command of Jesus, and they're just blown away. Who is this? They know he's the Messiah, and yet, who is this? They haven't, this, this hasn't been, 
seen ever before since Moses. And so you start to realize something. That yes, they, they see Jesus as Messiah, but wait a second, are, is it more of a, in the lineage of David in a carnal sense? Because this isn't, you know, Messiah isn't just like a, a political faction. This is something, this is a new ballgame. This is a new stratosphere. Even the wind and the sea obey him. And these are things that the disciples, when they're apostles, they reflect back. And when they're like blown away and kind of sad, even when Jesus ascends into heaven, even the angels are there. The angels are like, you know, why do you marvel at this? Why do you marvel at this? Because as you see Jesus ascend, the same Jesus, he's going to descend. He's going to come back. And then the disciples, you know, when they become apostles, but they start to put two and two together. They start to put the pieces together and realize, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This isn't Messiah in a, in a carnal sense. This isn't like Messiah in a, in a political sense. No, this is, this is something huge. And then they start to realize, and then boom, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when you get into Acts chapter 2, the tongues of fire. And then boom, messengers. Where now they're disciples. They're in the learning phase, and they're learning. But then in the course of time, what's going to happen is they're going to be in the messenger phase. You see? And they're just blown away like, what? The wind and the sea obey him? And they're going to remember these things when they themselves become messengers of the good news. Minus one. Minus one. Very important to understand what the word of God says. And little did they know that 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, that they would faithfully teach and preach and write. And yes, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And here we are, you and me, 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, nesting under their shade, feeding on the truth of God's holy word, something put in motion many, many moons ago, the very things that angels peer into. And it's the better family of faith. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.